of 505 Washington Avenue, Carnegie, and here we are on Mount Lebo, <laughs> ready to survey the land and see the glory of God. Welcome, welcome, welcome. When I thought about a call to worship this morning, I thought of no other scripture than the theme verse that has been on the back of the temple wall for many, many years and is in your program and we're gonna say it unitedly this morning as our call to worship. Philippians 4, 8, will you please rise? This is the word of our Lord. Let's affirm it together. 
Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. May the Lord be praised today. You may be seated. Our anthem of praise is going to be on the screen, To God Be the Glory. And that's what we want everything that we do to honor and glorify God. And um, so I'm going to ask that you rise with me. We'll sing this anthem of praise straight through as the band leads us.
remain standing for prayer. Pray with me. Oh God, our Father, we do praise you for all that you have done, and we praise you for what is going to happen in this place, because you are present here, Lord, and without that, this would just be a building. We pray that your spirit would fill every corner of this building. We pray, Lord, that when people come in, they will feel a sense of your peace. We pray, Father, for each soldier, and we pray, Father, for each officer, that we would be ready to give a witness for that hope that is within us. I pray, Lord, for this morning's meeting, that you have already been invited to this place. Amen. We pray, Lord, as you sit beside us, that you would touch our hearts with understanding, that you would fill our minds and our souls with peace that only comes from knowing you, I pray, Father, for some, it might be a desire to know you. But I pray, Lord, as this morning goes through, that your spirit would reign in each of us and that you would be glorified. So at the end of this day, we will say it has been so good to be in the house of the Lord. Be with our commissioners today, Lord. Use your word through him to touch our lives, to make us bigger and better people for you. Help us, Lord, to just be ready to speak the word whenever an opportunity arises. So bless us now, Lord. We commit to you all the music, all the words, all the singing, all the witness, everything that happens this day, we commit it to you because you died so that we might live. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Be seen. Now our divisional commander, Major William Bodie. Well, this is the day the Lord has made, isn't it? Amen. And we will rejoice and be glad in it, won't we? Because God is here with us. Before I introduce our territorial leaders, I just want to, on all of your behalf, thank the past divisional leaders, Majors Roberts and Lynette. Would you stand and receive our words of appreciation tonight? They had the vision, and they followed it through. And uh, this is because God, through them, has um, just blessed us with this beautiful facility. And we thank God for your leadership and uh, for all the work that has been put forth. And uh, many others have been involved in that, but you are the leaders. So we thank you very much for making this possible. It's a pleasure to have uh, on this day, this very important day, our territorial leaders, Commissioner Steve and Judith uh, Hagman. Uh, you can read about them if you want to in the back of the program. What I want to say to them in, in our time of knowing them for the last couple of years is that they are spirit-filled people. They're people who believe in prayer because when they needed it, they asked for it. And they received it. And um, God answered prayer, hasn't he? And because of the fact that God has answered prayer, they're able to be here with us today and be used of God to minister, be his messengers, his servants, his example, so that each one of us will see Christ and we do see Christ in their lives. We're going to be blessed under their ministry um, today, this morning, and this afternoon. And would you welcome with me, please, our territorial leaders, Commissioner um, Steve and Judith Hagman.
Judith Hagelin will come and read scripture. Well, I must tell you, as we are so excited to be here, and I must tell you that um, <clears throat> as I was looking through the program, and I saw Evangeline Booth here with her hand up, talking about the army in Pittsburgh. And I thought to myself, oh, what a history we have. What a magnificent shoulders we have to stand on through all of these years to get us to 2011. And then I think to myself, okay, Lord, we're standing here in 2011. What are the next years going to look like? They're going to be even better because that's what God expects of us, doesn't it? He expects us to be even better. He expects us to go forward, never give up, never give up. Thanks, band. I love uh, the numbers you've chosen. That's my personality. I love those songs. So uh, you give us great joy. I also tell you that when, uh, you know, here we are in a new neighborhood. We're in a new neighborhood now. And I think to myself, when those children come in, who will be the next, next Commissioner Gaither? Who will be the next general? Who will be the next Corps officer, the next soldier when they grow up? Because of the fact that we loved them. Because of the fact that we gave them and introduced them to Jesus. There can't be anything better than that. And I am excited to be here today to know that this building, these soldiers, these officers, all of us will be part of allowing God to use us and introduce this neighborhood to Jesus. And I'm very grateful for that. This morning we're going to be reading from God's word and uh, the, we're going to be reading from Ephesians, not Hebrews. Ephesians. It was changed, so if you've already gotten Hebrews, you've got to find Ephesians now. And I'm doing Ephesians, the first chapter, and I'm going to be reading 1 through 13. Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints of Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in his heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to, to the praise of the glorious grace which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. In him have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, 
to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. May that same Holy Spirit today, as we listen to his word, come around and touch each one of our hearts in such a special and new way. The Lord bless you. Jesus himself is the key. 
protect those who trust in my name. And when they call on me, Son of David, Jehovah, Hosanna, Emmanuel, I will answer. I will meet you from your troubles. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with long life <coughs> and give them my Thank you, young people. Doesn't that fire you up, huh? Amen? Put your hands together and thank these young people. That really fires me up. It really does. We're going to have a chance in this homecoming celebration, holiness meeting, to affirm what God has done in the past and what he's going to, we believe, do in the future. And uh, we're going to stand and sing the first two verses. Now, here are the instructions. You want to listen very carefully. After the second verse, we'll be seated and we'll give you a chance just to reflect on the goodness of God in the past, what this congregation has meant. Folks here from a long way have come home. Come home. And you may just want to say, now here's what you got to do. There is a preacher this morning, and it's not you. It's him. <laughs> All right? So you want to make sure that uh, we're succinct and we give our witness. And then we're going to sing the third verse. And after that, what do we believe about the future? Someone may want to just stand and say, this is what God's going to do, I believe. Stand now, there'll be an introduction, and we'll sing the first two verses. Here we go.
Thank you. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. God bless you. Well, here's one. Here's one. Someone else, please. standing behind you. Someone else? Don't be hesitant. Yes, Rob.
We're going to sing the third verse, marching on in the Spirit's might, more than conqueror, more than conqueror in every fight. 
and then let's have a few people talk about what you dream that God's going to do in the future. Here we go. <laughs>
In Isaiah chapter 12, verse 4, it says, In that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for grace is the Holy One of Israel among you. And that's kind of my vision, that we would shout aloud and sing for joy, make noise, proclaim through Mount Lebanon, through this area, that the Lord is exalted and he has done glorious things. Wonderful. Uh, that's a perfect uh, entree to our last verse. And uh, we're going to stand. We've got to stand and sing this last verse. This is about marching. It's about moving forward. It's a new day and a new time. And God has a new thing he's going to do. This is going to be dramatic for this community. May God help us to be faithful. Marching on with the flag unfurled. And note who the drummer is. We have a new percussionist in the band. My goodness, a woman of valor. Here we go. We're going to sing this last verse and sing it out. Lift up and believe it.
And the best part I have to share with you is that she and her husband, Major and Mrs. Satterley, uh, retired to South Carolina, and now they've made the decision they're going to come back home. They're going to come. We all do that. <laughs> we go away and we come back home. This is home. This is definitely home for us. And uh, we are so pleased. So, sis, I thank you and I salute you and I love you. The light of the temple did not go out, Lord. Oh, it flickered and faded a bit as we crossed the desert of adversity, change, and doubt, but it never went out. We held it high, for we are the temple of the living God. You have said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Together we are your house, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. The church, built not of stones, but of souls of the redeemed. The church of fadeless, endless, ineffable glory, the consummation of all God's wondrous works, is the temple of God. And now, we are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. God does not dwell here only, but oh, may his presence constantly be here. We are to be light, bringing out God's colors to the world. God, you're not a secret to be kept. We need to go public with this, as public as a city on a hill. You have put us on a light stand. You have put us on a hilltop. Now we must shine. We must keep open house. We must be generous with our lives so that this light will spread. Open the gates of the temple. Let us come in and give him our thanks. Open the gates of the temple to all who are righteous. Allow the faithful to enter. Open the gates of the temple to all who are lost or lonely or hurting. Open the gates of the temple to all who are broken or discouraged or ashamed. Open the gates of the temple to all the people from every stage and every walk of life, every tribe, every race, every color. And may these gates always lead to the presence of the Lord. Open the gates of the temple and let the King of Glory in. Who is the King of Glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of Glory. The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord invincible in battle. Open up, you temple gates. Open up, you temple doors, and let the King of Glory enter. Who is the King of Glory? The Lord of Heaven's armies. He is the King of Glory, and he is here. Let the glory of the Lord fill the house of the Lord. 
Hallelujah. Amen. Scripture chosen this morning for the tithes and offering comes from Psalm 50. It will be verses uh, 7 and 8, and then verses 14 and 15. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your bent, burnt offerings, which are ever before me. And then uh, verses uh, 14 and 15. Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Could the uh, ushers come forward? Thank you.
sign at the end. Sign does look nice, doesn't it? Everyone can see it says the Salvation Army. Won't go any further than that unless the congregation does its part and brings them in. Because that's what Jesus said. Even Jesus said to his disciples, he sent them out two by two to go out and witness and bring them in. God can do far greater than what your imagination is. You say you want the people to come back, the teenagers to come back, and this. God wants that to happen. I believe that. He wants to surpass those numbers. He wants to see more souls get saved. He wants to see the men from the ARC when they graduate. He wants to see them and their families come here into worship. He wants to see your neighbors come here and worship. But we need to be his feet. We need to be his hands. We need to be his spokesmen and women. And if we're not willing to do our part, God will not force us in this place. It will not be fair. I like for you, Major, in two, three, four years, to come back to me and say, it's too small. What are we going to do? I'd like to have that problem. I'd like to have you come back and say, Major, you know that next floor up that we have the elevator shaft over there waiting for? We need to build it. That's what I'd like to see. You see, because with man, it's impossible. But with God, all, all things are possible. And the question is, if you as the soldiers of this Lord are willing to follow the leading of God, the Holy Spirit, and uplift the name of Jesus so that boys and girls, men and women from all ages and all walks of life will come in to this place to be rejuvenated, to go out 
survivors of life in a greater manner. That's what I believe God wants. That's what I, that's what my religion is. Because I believe that the Lord doesn't want this to be an empty place. He wants it to be full of life. So remember, with God, all things are possible. Let's take it a step further. If you're a soldier here at Pittsburgh Temple and you're willing to go out and bring them in, please stand up and let's get witness to that this morning right now. Here we go. Okay? We're off to a good start. Now, sit back down because <clears throat> you're not gone out yet. Um, we usually have a time of greeting after the doxology, and um, we are not going to do the regular greeting this morning, but we are going to do a time of greeting, seated. You go behind you, you go in front of you. But there are people here that I'd like to recognize, but if I recognize a few, I'm going to miss a few, and I don't want to do that. So we'll have time to fellowship after the service. But for right now, let's take a couple of minutes just to greet the people in front of us, to the left, to the right of us, and in front of us, okay? In the name of the Lord. Don't get up and don't start conversations. Just shake the hand. attention to Chris Hansberger and Susan Knickerbocker, vocal duet.
Well, good morning. It's nice to see each and every one of you here today. I want to say a special word of thank you for the invitation to come and be with you on this very historical morning, the dedication of this new facility, and to say congratulations to the Corps officers, to the Duprees, for uh, their leadership in putting this building together and uh, as we had the chance to take the tour a little bit this morning to see how magnificent everything looks. Uh, it seems everywhere I go in this territory, I'm dedicating a building by a Dupree of some sort. And, um, so it's nice to carry on the tradition, nice that the brothers are here uh, uh, supporting their own brother as well for this uh, very special event. Uh, we talked a little bit about history. There was a little bit of a historical event that happened uh, during the middle of the service when uh, we sang a robe of white and uh, my wife whispered over to me and she said, could I have permission to play in the band? Well, that's history, uh, asking permission to do something. And I said, not having any responsibility to the band, I said, absolutely, go for it. And so uh, that, uh, we'll, re we'll remember that one for uh, that. But it is nice to be here. This does remind us a little bit of one of our own particular appointments that we had as Corps officers in Tampa, Florida. We were very much in the same situation, a downtown building, an old building where uh, there was still activity in the downtown, but it wasn't the kind of activity where you're going to be able to actually able to build a congregation. There was certainly the need for uh, tremendous social services, which the Army continued to do, but in terms of building a congregation, it just wasn't the right area. We located a piece of property that wasn't too far from downtown, but in a nice residential community. And there the Army moved. And um, uh, much like you have done in this residential neighborhood with the wonderful uh, senior facility that's right across the street. We had, in Tampa, we had a wonderful zoo that was right across the street. It's a little hard to, uh, to uh, recruit in the zoo, but uh, I know you'll, you'll have a much better time at uh, sharing the love of God with the residents of the uh, senior center right across the parking lot. And it's important that as we gather together in this time of worship on Sunday mornings, so several years ago, the General of the Salvation Army commissioned a group called the International Spiritual Life Commission. And that commission put together the calls of Salvation Army uh, uh, development and Salvationism around the world. There were 12 calls that were issued as a result of that commission. And the very first call was the call to worship. That we as a Salvation Army need to be about calling ourselves in worship. Coming together as congregations coming together as men and women, boys and girls of God for the purpose of worshiping our Heavenly Father. So may I suggest to you today, while this is a celebratory time of worship, that worship next Sunday ought to be no different. And the Sundays that follow, there ought to be an anticipation that when we come into this beautiful sanctuary, that we will be coming to meet together in worship of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now one last thing before we look into this uh, uh, sermon that God has given me for this particular day. I've taken the liberty, I apologize to the Corps officer and to those who put the uh, order of service together uh, in changing the scripture and changing the sermon. Uh, what I had prepared for you today would have been great. I think you would have enjoyed it. It was most appropriate. But it was one of those things that uh, about a week or so ago, uh, God just said, that's not what I want you to say. And uh, here's where I want you to move. And this is what I want you to look at. And this is what I want you as the uh, preacher to learn 
from this particular scripture. So thus, we're looking at the book of Ephesians. So I want you to uh, turn to the book of Ephesians, and that will be our study for um, this morning. This afternoon, we're going to look at the Old Testament, but today we're going to uh, spend our time studying and worshiping in the New Testament. And this is a particular uh, portion of scripture, this actual book of Ephesians, is something that I've committed to for a, a significantly long period of time now in my own personal worship. Um, I've mapped out a plan that will take me probably a year or two. I'm not in any rush to finish the book of Ephesians, but um, I'm looking at it as uh, a sense that I've moved in with Paul. I'm living now in Ephesus, and I want to get a sense as to what he is saying to uh, these particular people. And it fits perfectly for what we want to say today in this, the very first worship service in the Pittsburgh Temple Core. For Paul had a unique message. It was most unique because he was announcing in his letter to the Ephesians that the Gentiles were becoming heirs to the promises of Israel. They were now coming together with Jews to form a new body called the church. Paul's letter to the Christians living in Ephesus would have been received by those that were there as something quite radical, something for many quite disturbing, most unsettling, that suddenly tradition, the way we've always done things, was now giving way to a new way of thinking. And this new way of thinking was that what we were saying and what we were proposing to do was available to the whole world, particularly to the Gentile world that had been shut out by the former worshipers of God. The Jews were actually going to invite Gentiles into their service. Now, I don't know what this neighborhood is like that uh, you have moved into. All I've seen is as we've driven in this morning to see the various houses and residential uh, facilities that are here. But perhaps some of these people that uh, live in this neighborhood are going to be quite foreign to what you as salvationists have grown accustomed to. They may do things in a different way. They may speak in a different style. They may have a different sense of what life is all about. And as you minister to them, as you go door to door, as you've committed to do this morning, as you give them the gospel of Christ, what's going to happen when they respond positively? And they say, well, we don't want to naturally become necessarily like you, but we want to become in Christ. We want to become a new creature and we want to worship together. It's going to be radical. It's going to be quite different. And it's no wonder some of the Jewish leadership really wanted Paul out of sight and out of mind, and they were much more comfortable with him being in prison. But not did they realize that as in prison, he would be even more effective writing his letters. Well, now the main theme of, of uh, the letter of Ephesians is this great plan of salvation that God has given, revealed and experienced, and now lived out through the Gentiles. The plan of salvation is for all who will receive it. And so we have a letter that demands not only our attention, 
but the world's attention as well. Written to a group of unfamiliar Gentiles, Paul succeeds in revealing the heart of God, the obedience of the Son, and the sustaining power of the Holy Spirit. My wife read earlier from uh, uh, Ephesians, the first 13 uh, verses, and really want to include that 14th verse as well. I won't take the time to uh, do that today. You have that in front of you. But now I want to look specifically at uh, some of these very important words. And if you can look at the book of Ephesians, uh, really in much like what you've just now experienced in watching this building uh, be put up and come together, God here is the architect. In his mind, he has the vision for what things are to be. And so he envisions in his heart a world that will respond to his plan. Jesus becomes the builder. He's the one that takes the instruments, takes the tools, takes the people, and brings them together. He's the one who died on the cross. He's the one who gave his life. He is the one who says, in me, you have salvation and the gift of eternal life. And then the Holy Spirit is the occupier. He is the one who, through you and I, empowers us, gives us the right words to say, gives us the vision to understand, gives us the sense that we are not satisfied with just a simple congregation, but that we are looking for growth. We are anxious for the day when we have to open up the doors of the overflow because the sanctuary is too small. And it doesn't take long to read this letter to learn of the many things a believer has in Christ. Look at with, look with me very quickly. Verse 4. For he chose us in him. In him we are his choice. Verse 5. He adopted us in him to be sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and goodwill. Verse 6. In him we have redemption through his blood. Verse 7, we have the grace of God's riches. Verse 9, in him he has put into effect the plan of salvation to bring all things in heaven and earth under him. In verse 11, in him we were chosen to, to work the plan out, everything in accordance with his purpose and will. In verse 12, in him we have hope in Christ. And then in verse 13, we are marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. That's eight privileges that he lines out quickly in the first 13 verses of this letter. Being in Christ refers to the unexpressed sacrificial death of Jesus and to the relationship and intervention made by Christ daily on behalf of his redeemed. Paul, in effect, is saying it's one thing to receive the promise of God, the forgiveness of sin, and the gift of eternal life. But there is something else that comes with this. It is the daily occurrence that Christ has come to live in the hearts of believers. So what I've been wrestling with, what I've been struggling with in these last couple of weeks, is what does it really mean 
when I read in Christ. What does it really mean when Paul says, in him you have all of these things? And I go back to the, uh, the Gospels. I want you to keep your bookmark to Ephesians, but then look at a most interesting incident in Matthew the ninth chapter. Matthew the ninth chapter, beginning with the 18th verse. I think this is a pretty familiar story of uh, Jesus' ministry while here on earth. Verse 18. A ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand. And she got up. News of this spread throughout all that region. An amazing story. If, if you can just simply picture it, Jesus and his disciples and all those who were just kind of hanging around the fringe and following him were in the midst of this very important person, this public official by the name of Jairus. He has come to find Jesus because his young daughter, who was estimated to be around 12 years old, had just died. We don't know the reason why, but we know that it was some sort of serious illness. Now, Jairus had been around Jesus long enough to know that he had something special about him, and in fact, may have understood that he had the power to raise people from the dead. He wanted his daughter back, and he believed that Jesus, if only you come and touch her, if you simply put your hand on her, I believe she will be restored to life, and she will live. <coughs> well, Jesus, in the relationship that he had with Jairus, felt, well, this ought to be a great, uh, great opportunity, and I, I will do that. And so as he gets up to leave, this whole entourage now goes from this one point on their way to Jairus' house. While en route, this lady, who for 12 years has had this issue, believes that only if she touches the hem of Jesus' garment, she will be healed. And it's almost like Jesus, in a sense, made sure that his path would go close to her so that she would have the opportunity to touch uh, her. I, I kind of envision this like I remember when, uh, when I was a kid uh, growing up and playing in the playground. We had this very simple game called It. Everybody's played the game of it before. You know, you get touched and you're it, you gotta go touch someone else. And uh, I must confess that whenever we played the game of it with girls, that was really a good excuse to actually touch another girl. And to, uh, if, especially if you were interested in one particular girl, you had the license to go chase after her and it was just part of the game. 
And I remember on occasion when we would play the game of it and there was a girl that I was interested in, I would kind of make sure I'd put myself in the path of the person who was it. So, oh, I would get tagged. Now I'm it. Now I can legitimately run after the little girl that has fancied my heart so that I might touch her and uh, be part of the game. Well, in a sense, that's what Jesus has done here. He has walked in such a way he knew that this lady would be coming to her. And he made it possible for her to touch him. And as soon as she did, he recognized that fact and said, you are healed. And now he walks into this house and he touches this little girl and she comes back to life. Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine the sense of what has just happened by the touch of Jesus? When I read this scripture, and then when I think back to Ephesians, talking about in Christ, it's the touch of God that helps me understand in Christ. For being in Christ, first of all, confirms his presence in my life. His touch confirms the fact that he is here. He has come among our midst. In this case, in the story of Jairus, he was physically present. They could see him. We can't physically see him, but yet we know and we come together in a form of worship because we sense and expect the presence of God. His touch is here. We want to feel his touch. They are so Christ-like that you can visually see Jesus in the touch that he lays on people. My dad was such a person. He was a good, honest, hardworking man. He was a house painter. That's what he did for a living. He prayed a lot. I saw him. He read his Bible faithfully. I watched him. I listened to him. And he faithfully witnessed about Jesus Christ in his life to anyone who would listen to him. And I would say quite often as a boy, that's Jesus. I don't quite understand all of what the Bible says, but when I do hear things about Jesus and I watch my father, that's in Christ. I sense the presence of God. Do people sense the presence of God when you come into a room? Do they see and understand the spirit of Jesus as you are here? Do they understand that you have responded to a gospel that is for everyone? And that you have the you and I have the opportunity to give out and to give that message of the saving message of Jesus Christ. When one is in Christ, you see Jesus. Well, the second thing his touch does, his touch conducts goodness. What would Jesus do has been a popular phrase over the last several years. Well, I know something. He would do something good. He would always do something good. Good is such a good word. He puts his hand on this woman and something good happened. She was healed. He took this dead girl by the hand and something good happened. She became alive. 
When you and I are in Christ, you automatically do his work, and it produces something good. Now, the enemy comes along and tries to say, well, anybody could do that. That's just, uh, that's just a good trick. That's just uh, you know, a, a, a sleight of hand. That's not good. It's just what people should be doing. But the touch of Jesus brings with it the highest potential in that of humanity. It is the miracles beyond human ability performed by humans with supernatural, supernatural results that claim that this is the good touch of Jesus. In Christ, people can do the most good. In Christ, people can overcome evil. In Christ, people who need the Lord see his acts of kindness in others and respond to the claims of Christ by doing good. Here's the last effect of his touch. His touch creates healing. Not just the healing touch of a body ravaged with sickness and decay, but the touch of healing a broken heart. The touch of lifting the downtrodden. The touch of taking a heavy burden and carrying it away. In Christ, he heals the most inner parts of our souls. In Christ, he forgives our sins. In Christ, he makes us clean. Who can make the vilest clean? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In Christ, he touches and he heals. Now back to Ephesians. Here's the bedrock of all that this rests upon. When the writer here talks about being in him, and being in Christ and all these things that we have in Christ. The pursuit of being in Christ is living a holy life. And let me just remind the congregation of something we ought to be reminding ourselves of every day of the week, as 1 Peter says, where Peter says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. The expectations that we have for the Pittsburgh Temple Court is to be a holy place. Because it is filled with holy people in the pursuit of holiness. May I remind each and every Salvationist gathered here together today that it is your responsibility and mine to seek holiness. Holiness is not for the old. Holiness is not for someone who really doesn't have anything else to do in life, so they dive into scripture and they become this good person. Holiness is for everyone. This world needs holy people to spread the holy word of God. Now don't get me started in a whole other direction. I'm getting off, <laughs> off, off message here for just a moment. But when we are holy, we are holy for one reason. And here's the bedrock of this scripture for today. It's found three times in these first 13 verses. Verse 6. We are in Christ to the praise 
of his glorious grace. Verse 12. We are in Christ for the praise of his glory. And then verse 13. We are in Christ to the praise of his glory. Now it doesn't take long for me to figure that out. We are here for one reason and one reason only. To give praise to our Heavenly Father. When we are in Christ, we stand tall. Because we praise our Heavenly Father. We are lights to the world. While we are physically set on top of the hill here, yet it is the light of Christ in your heart and mine that will give praise to the honor and glory of Christ. That's what this new facility is all about. People will come through these doors and they will experience in Christ. And they will understand the praise and honor and glory that should be given to our Heavenly Father. Now, Father, as we have come to this important part of this service, we have lifted our voices to you. We have expressed our talent in grateful appreciation for what you've given to us. We have investigated your word. We understand what it means when you promise to come into us. And we want to live our lives in Christ for the honor and glory, not of an organization, not of a man or a woman, but of you only, the Holy God. And so as we come to this close of this service, I'd just like to invite, if there is someone here today, we're going to talk a little bit this afternoon about the furnishings of this beautiful facility, but in front of us is the mercy seat. It's the place where a sinner can come. It's a place where the saved comes. It's a place where we meet with God and say, God, this is what I want to talk about today. This is my need at this moment. Can you help me? Do you have a good word for me? Can you give me direction? We're going to sing the little prayer chorus. Come, beautiful Christ, radiate thy beauty in me. And as we sing that chorus, if there are those who would just like to come and kneel at this place of prayer, I invite you to do so. To honor this particular facility with the chance to kneel at this brand new altar. Say, God, today it starts for me. I want you in my life. I want to testify to your glory and to your greatness. And so as we sing, don't hesitate. Don't wait. Just simply come kneel. And if you want some help when you come, there'll be others that will come and kneel right with you and pray with you. But let's sing that song. And if God is leading, if God is moving in your heart, you come and pray. Come, beautiful God.
is that when we come and we have this time of prayer and we come to this mercy seat, you remember what the mercy seat was? It was the top of the Ark of the Covenant. It was where God was. And so when seekers would come to the mercy seat, they would come seeking an audience with God. Can you imagine that? Meeting with and having dialogue with the God of the universe. What a privilege. What an honor. And so as we sing this chorus again, I'm going to just give this opportunity for you to come and kneel. There's plenty of room, and we invite you to come and meet him in this wonderful way. Come, extend the invitation to the core officers and to the local officers, this now being the first Sunday in this marvelous facility. We want the leadership of this core to come and kneel at the holiness table at the mercy seat. So core officers and local officers, if you hold a local officer position, I'd like to invite you to come with your core officer to come and kneel at the holiness table. extend that invitation out to the soldiery of the Corps. You may not be a local officer, but uh, this is your home. You love coming here. You learn much. You, uh, you find God in so many different ways. You come and give support to these, your local officers and Corps officers. With resources come tremendous responsibilities. God's given us a wonderful temple here to worship every Sunday. Most comfortable, beautiful. People will want to come and be part of this. But just simply don't settle for this particular day. For this is only the beginning. God has a neighborhood of lost people. God has people who are living close to this facility who are in some of their latter days and may not know the Savior yet. What a tragedy to be in view of the house of the Lord, but not to experience the Lord himself. We have a tremendous responsibility here. So I simply want to pray a prayer of dedication, asking God to give you power, the resources to be able to go and to spread his word and to bring people in. I'm going to ask the rest of the congregation to stand, ask the divisional commanders if they would join the core officers down uh, in front of the holiness table. You can uh, find your way down there.
want to sing? Yes. How many say yes? yes? Well, that's what we're going with. Please rise. I'll go in the strength of the Lord. A lot of us know that very well this week, that we've only gone on in his strength. Do we know it, Autumn? We know it very well. So let's sing to the Lord. Here we go.
let's eat. Lunch is prepared for everyone who wants to stay and enjoy it in the back room following this service. Dedication service begins at 2.30. And I don't think I can conclude this meeting if Lester Baker didn't come up and lead us into Salvation Army doxology. Is the band playing this too? Yes. Okay, good. We've missed Bonnie and Lester. You got your, your gig on the piano already, so we'll let Lester conclude the service. All right, sing together, follow, here we go. Praise God, I'm saved. <laughs> Join us for lunch.